Well, what a glorious day it is today, right? And we all agree. Welcome, actually, welcome home to our Bishop Alex and his lovely and wonderful wife, Jody, to all the clergy who have come from near and far, to all the family and friends who have come from near and far, and to servants' family who are here to celebrate this glorious occasion, and of course, to our own Catherine Casey Ayers and her wonderful and lovely husband, Father Bob. <laughs> I'm Mother Susan, and I have the privilege of assisting here at Servants of Christ when needs be, as the British say, and I have the joy of sharing the Word of God with you today. So in case you missed it, our scripture passages today are about God's calling on our lives, and especially today on Kathy's life. In our Old Testament reading, God clearly calls Jeremiah to be a prophet. It was a politically, morally, and spiritually chaotic time. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it is a politically, morally, and spiritually chaotic time now. But what is wonderful is that God's call to Jeremiah and God's call to you, Kathy, comes with the promise. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will deliver you. Declares, not hints, not says, but declares the Lord. And then once called, we see in Psalm 119 that we are expected to walk according to God's word. This is not a do as I say, not as I do call. This is a do as God leads you to do as evidenced in his word. And then in our Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells his disciples that to be expectant, to always be expectant that Jesus may return at every hour. And so while we are expectant, what are we to be doing? We are expected from Psalms to be walking according to God's words. See how that works? <laughs> but for the rest of the time, I would really like to spend talking about our New Testament readings from Acts. Um, the Book of Common Prayer directs us that one of our New Testament readings is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. But Kathy and I decided, with of course the permission of the bishop, to add chapter 8. And you will see why in a moment. So if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, we start with chapter 6 on page 1086. So already, we see in Acts chapter 6, there's a conflict in the church. Why? Because the church is made up of people. That's why. But there's a specific reason in addition to that. You see, the church in Jerusalem had grown considerably. If you'll recall, the Feast of Pentecost was not too far gone when Peter made that awesome sermon that we all wish as clergy we could make. 
And what does it say in Acts 2 and 3? 3,000 people were added. All right, clergy, can you imagine 3,000 people added to your church in one day? Now, they all didn't stay. Some of them went home. But some of them stayed, and they had been converted, and they wanted to learn more about Jesus, so they joined the church in Jerusalem. Well, this created, as you can imagine, great material needs. There were widows in the congregation who didn't have sufficient funds, so they were given a daily meal. And so the resources in the church of Jerusalem were pooled, and the widow's needs were being met. But something happened. Those who converted, who were Jews who had converted to Jesus, coming from the outlying areas, were, as Justin read, Hellenistic or Greek-speaking. They spoke Greek. Whereas the people in the church of Jerusalem spoke Aramaic. So there was this language barrier. Now, I would like to think that the neglect was not intentional. I would like to think that the neglect was a result of this language barrier not being able to communicate properly. So, our apostles, wise men that they were, did not want to be distracted. So they asked the congregation, I want you to remember this, they asked the congregation to raise up seven men who could take care of the material needs. Now, most scholars will agree that this was the founding of the office of deacon, that these were our first seven deacons. Now, the word's not used, but as I say, most scholars, and I'm not going to argue with them, agree that this is where the diaconate started. And you can see they were officially recognized by their congregation. The apostles laid their hands on them, prayed over them, just like what's going to happen shortly to Kathy. And if what I want to point out as far as these seven men, for those of us who did not study Greek, all seven of these men have Greek names. So that the apostles, in their wisdom, chose seven Greek-speaking men who could communicate and knew the needs of the widows to have this office of deacon to meet those needs. So now we're going to look at one particular deacon, and that is Philip. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 8, that's where we're going to talk about deacon Philip. Now the deacon Stephen, as many of us know, had just given, again, a fabulous sermon, but the result of his was that he was stoned to death. And then there was a great persecution that arose against the church in Jerusalem, and everyone, for the most part, except for the apostles, fled the city, Philip being one of them. So Philip, one of our seven new deacons, flees to a city in Samaria where he has an amazingly successful ministry. He's preaching, he's teaching, and he's got a great healing ministry. There are miraculous signs and wonders being performed by, by uh, Philip. Verse 8 tells us that there was great joy in the city. 
I mean, how many of us here, clergy and lay, would love to have someone say as a result of our ministry, there was great joy in the city of Gainesville or in St. Augustine or in High Springs. I mean, that would just be awesome. So here we are, Philip, successful ministry, just having the time of his life as far as a minister of the gospel. And what happens? An angel of the Lord comes and says to Philip, very specifically, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he goes. I mean, that's amazing. He goes. He's in the midst of this incredibly successful ministry. And the Spirit tells him to go, and he goes. As a result of that, we see later on that the country of Ethiopia becomes open up to the gospel. But Philip didn't know that at the time. He was obedient to the Spirit. So we have Philip. He's walking down the road. There's a very important official who is on that road. He is in charge of the treasury of the Queen of Ethiopia. He's like the Secretary of Treasury. He holds the purse strings of that entire country, right? And he is reading the book of Isaiah. Now this man is a eunuch. He's been castrated. He has a disability. And under Levitical law, he would not be able to enter the temple. He went to Jerusalem. He's studying Isaiah, but he would not be able to go into the temple under Levitical law. And now, as a side note, I don't think it's by chance that he's reading Isaiah, because Isaiah emphasizes God's love for the outcast. And in fact, in chapter 56, it says that the eunuchs will find a place in God's story. Nothing in this story happens by chance. So anyway, so we've got the spirit. The spirit is so involved in this story, I just love it. So the spirit tells Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Now, I want you to imagine this. This has always struck me. Nowhere, nowhere does it say that the chariot stopped. So here is Philip, an incredibly successful ordained deacon on this dusty, unpaved road, literally running alongside the chariot. The Spirit has asked him to look so foolish to run alongside this chariot, right? Thankfully, the Ethiopian eunuch invites him into the chariot. Now, Philip jumps into the chariot. What is the first thing that you might ask the eunuch to do? You're on this bumpy road. It's dusty. You're trying to have a serious conversation about Jesus. I'd ask him to stop. Would you please stop so we can have a conversation? Philip does not ask him to stop. Philip jumps into that chariot and beginning with Isaiah, right where the eunuch is, the eunuch is reading Isaiah, Philip starts right there and starts telling him about Jesus. He doesn't stop. He doesn't ask the chariot to be stopped. And so what I want you to, if you don't hear anything else, if so far this has been like the adults in the Charlie Brown uh, comic, you know, blah, 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 hear this. This is a quote from Brian Brock, an American theologian. 
He is a member of the University of Aberdeen Center for Spirituality, Health, and Disability. And he is a founding member of the Center for the Study of Autism and Christian Community Friendship. This is what he says. Philip adjusts his pace to the pace of the one whom the Spirit is after, no matter how uncomfortable it feels at first. I'm going to say that again. Philip adjusts his pace to the pace of the one that the Spirit is after, no matter how uncomfortable it feels at first. And Professor Brock goes on to say, Philip shows us what it looks like to categorize people not by their bodies, not by any disabilities they may have, but by their desirability to God. The Spirit wanted this Ethiopian eunuch. And he goes on to say, Philip shows us what it looks like when the Holy Spirit's desire to join people together overwhelms our sense of social awkwardness and barriers. Philip shows us what it's like for disciples to match our pace to the pace of the person who is standing or in front of them. Philip's not afraid to jump into the wheelchair and ride along with the eunuch without prejudice to hear the eunuch's point of view. Not Philip imposing his point of view at that time, but to start where the eunuch was in Isaiah and go from Isaiah to Jesus. I just love Philip because he allows the spirit to lead him into looking so foolish, running alongside this chariot and then jumping in. But he doesn't ask the eunuch to adjust his pace. Philip adjusts to the eunuch's pace. Now, there's a reason that Kathy has asked us to read about Deacon Philip. Beginning, beginning with her beloved adopted children, Kathy has a heart for those who may be differently abled. She's skilled in American Sign Language, and we are so grateful for the presence of our interpreter here. And a big shout out to all of those who are on YouTube. I always look over there. It's over here, YouTube. It's just wonderful to have you here today. Before she retired from the working world, if you will, Kathy worked as an occupational therapist with differently abled children, helping them overcome disabilities that had created barriers to a quality education. And she now serves as director of Access Leadership Network, and I'm privileged to serve alongside of her. It is a network under the new, oh, let me get this right, New Generation Leadership Institute. Uh, it essentially comes alongside individuals and churches, and, and it, it, I'm trying to think of the four words. Help me with this, Kathy. Removing barriers, creating community. Access attempts to remove any barriers that may be with people who are differently abled to one, integrate them into the church of God, and two, and more importantly, recognize that everyone, regardless, 
has a gift or gifts that are important in the community of God. So with her upcoming ordination, Kathy is following in the footsteps of Philip, whose ordination we celebrated this past Wednesday. It's often said that a deacon has one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Philip was called outside the church to minister to a man who is on the edge of religious society, a Gentile, a man with a disability, and an outcast. And Peter taught and preached to him, and then, and this is what I love, the person who asked for the chariot to be stopped was not, Peter, was not Philip. It was the eunuch. Philip waited. He waited until the eunuch was ready. And then the, I love this. Look, there's some water, says the eunuch. What is to keep me from being baptized? So it's that point when the eunuch was ready that the chariot was stopped and Philip baptized him. Philip adjusted his pace to the pace of the one who is in front of him. Kathy, it is my hope and prayer for you that you will continue, as you have already been doing, to adjust your pace to the pace of the one of the spirit who is after, who is standing in front of you, and that you won't ask the chariot to stop. And that's my hope and prayer for all of us. We are all called, some to laity, some to the diaconate, some to the priesthood, some as bishops. We all have a calling on our life, and we should all adjust our pace to the one who is in front of us, gently leading them from wherever they are to teach them about Jesus. We've all heard it. God meets us where we are, right? But loves us too much to leave us there. Let us pray. Oh God, you made us in your own image and you have redeemed us through your son, Jesus Christ. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth, that in your good time, all nations, all races, those who are differently abled, the neurotypical and the neurodiverse, may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.